Uh, we can do better than that. Good morning. Hey, it's a joy to be with you. Um, I have the privilege usually once a year to come up here and speak at Walloon Lake Community Church, and it really is a privilege. You all partner with us in ministry through prayer, support, and different participation, and so for that we're very grateful. And always uh, love coming and seeing uh, many friends, meeting new folks, uh, getting some updates and sharing out some updates as well. Uh, if you don't know this, every baseball team in the United States, Canada, Mexico, the Dominican, uh, Venezuela, really wherever baseball is being played has someone that goes in as a volunteer and uh, does chapels for that team. So every Sunday during the season, I'll go into Comerica Park when the team's home. We'll do a chapel there for, I'll do four actually, one for players from the Tigers and the coaches, uh, one for the visiting team, one for stadium workers, and then one for the umpires that are in town for that game too. What are you all laughing at? <laughs> um, I kid that sometimes we use the Braille Bibles for them, but that's not true. And um, uh, I say that joke every time. Thanks for laughing again at it. Um, but uh, uh, it really is a wonderful ministry. And well beyond just that part of it is kind of pastoring. And so we do Bible studies away from the ballpark. Sometimes I'll go visit them on the road, do studies there. Uh, my wife Carla opens the home up to the wives, the gals. Uh, if they want to cook, bake, you know, a lot of times they don't have all that stuff you might have at your home. Uh, we dog sat, babysat, house sat. Uh, so anything you think of a church or a pastor doing is what we try to bring uh, into that environment. Um, uh, we finished the season really wonderfully. Uh, our final Bible study was in Kansas City when the team closed out there. So I went down and uh, we had eight guys in a hotel room uh, doing a Bible study. Uh, chapel's 20 minutes. We might have 20 guys in chapel, but Bible study, we're going to go about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. You're going to dig in. Uh, we have a book we use, do some homework, uh, and you can't hide there, okay? So you're going to participate. And uh, to have eight guys there was really wonderful. Six of those eight are returning, and so we're excited about what God does as we start the season off. Another thing that we do, and I didn't bring a picture of this, but out here on the uh, table, we have a newsletter, and there's a picture of it there. Um, every major league team has a, an academy in the Dominican Republic where uh, kids from the Dominican and some other Latin American countries go there at the age of, I think, as young as 16. They'll do some schooling, but basically they're to d develop baseball talents. And if they're good enough, they eventually get to come uh, to uh, the lower levels of the minor leagues in the United States, try to work their way up. And so uh, myself and some other guys who do chapel for the big league teams here went over and visited our respective academies and just had a wonderful time connecting with those who one day we may have a ministry with over here. In our minor league teams, we have a guy doing uh, English chapel and then also Spanish chapel. And we do them separate there as most of the guys uh, coming over don't know English quite yet. Uh, I think there's a picture uh, we'll put up here. Uh, so my wife and I uh, just got back, and that's why she didn't come up here. We were gone for about 10 days down to uh, Dallas and did a wedding for one of our players down there. Uh, this is Tyler Collins and his wife Carly. Uh, they had a little outdoor wedding a week ago. Today, actually, was the wedding. And um, uh, with the rehearsal was on a few days before. The rehearsal, there were snow flurries. We didn't do the rehearsal outside. We went inside and did it, and then we ran out to our spots and ran back in real quick. But they had a wonderful wedding, and uh, before the wedding, two days before the wedding, uh, they actually were baptized. 
And uh, Tyler just came to Christ uh, two years ago this April. Uh, Tyler was an outfielder with us uh, two years ago. God, he grew up in a Christian environment, heard the word, but never had really made a personal uh, relationship with Christ real in his life. And so um, a couple years ago, Tyler, uh, some of you remember if you're baseball fans, had kind of a negative interaction uh, with the fans there at Comerica. And uh, God really used that in his life to make him kind of look and say, what am I about? Who am I? What am I doing? So God used that in some wonderful ways, teammates around him. Uh, one guy gave him a book to read about the love of God. And uh, about two years ago, Tyler trusted Christ. And when we got ready to do their wedding, say we want to get baptized before the wedding. So I had the privilege to baptize Tyler. And then uh, he baptized Carly. And it was just a wonderful day uh, kind of leading up to uh, all we did down there. And that uh, next picture is them then after their baptism. And so um, uh, Tyler's no longer with the Tigers. Uh, he'll play for, uh, he'll go to camp with the Kansas City Royals this year. And so uh, we'll still stay in contact. And uh, the guy who does champ over at the Royals uh, knows about him already. And so he'll seek to disciple him further. And uh, that's kind of the picture of what uh, Baseball Chapel looks like. As uh, Chad mentioned, we do an annual event called Home Plate. And I brought stuff from last year's event that's out there on the table. Take as much of it as you'd like, please. And then uh, this coming year's event is on May 12th, the Saturday of Mother's Day weekend. One of the nice things about this year is it's later in the day. Normally we do a 9 o'clock in the morning program and then a a 1 o'clock game, which is tough for you all 'all folks up here. This year it's a 4 o'clock game, so the program starts at 1230. And so if you're coming from up here, it's a little bit easier for you. Back there there's a poster, and uh, this was this year's poster. And there's a reading on the poster that I I really encourage you to get and look at. Um, The story behind it is it's a a reading, a writing from a a journal of an African pastor. He wrote it in his journal while he was in prison for his faith. And he did not know that the day after he wrote this in his journal, he would be martyred for his faith. And so it really is a pretty powerful reading of um, uh, what's in there. And then back there, too, there's some baseball cards. Uh, there's a newsletter and some other items as well. The baseball cards are in this little packet. I encourage you to take some if you know someone that's a baseball fan, a Tiger fan, because the cards are wrapped up around a little track that explains the gospel. And so if you give that to someone, you're not only giving them a baseball card, uh, and on the back of the baseball card, there's no baseball stats. It's a story of a man's faith in Christ. And then... Um, uh, the track is around it to explain how to have that relationship with Christ. So uh, today, we want to jump into the Word of God and uh, want to talk about love. And uh, what a wonderful topic. Valentine's Day is not too far off. And, um, you know, I was looking at your website after I decided where I would speak, and I love the little tag on your uh, website. Uh, how many know what it says there? You're what? You're loved here. That's what your website says, right? <laughs> and um, and uh, so it says, you're loved here. And what a great statement to make, because uh, a true, genuine love uh, transforms. Christ's love for us, our love for one another and those around us. Uh, and so much in our world today is uh, so divisive, isn't it? Okay? Uh, there's so much tension and... And so what does biblical love, 
that Christ portrayed look like. That's what I want to talk about today and kind of give some practical, hopefully, uh, examples and principles about what love really looks like. So in John chapter 13, uh, the night before Jesus is crucified, he gathers into the upper room with his disciples. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this will all men know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Pretty powerful statement. He makes to his disciples uh, probably about 12 hours before he goes to the cross. And he's giving them a principle how they should carry on uh, after he's gone. Uh, a few things I notice about that command, the, or the, about that statement. First, it's this. It is a command. Okay? So it's not optional. We are commanded to love and really to develop and cultivate a love, uh, especially with other believers. Okay? Now, everyone may not be your best friend. I get that. But there still should be a love that we have for one another. A second principle that I learned there is that um, love or loving relationships convey a message. And so it says there, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. So when Carla and I are out and about and people look at us, our family, friends, people we don't know, and they see how we love each other or how at times we may not demonstrate that love to one another like we should, it conveys a message. When uh, we gather at church, uh, and the way we love one another, it conveys a message. How we treat others and one another uh, in other settings, it conveys a message. And that's what Jesus was saying. People are going to be drawn to Christ by the love they see that we have for one another. And then a third principle, before we dig in further here, uh, is that loving relationships are based on the cross. That's where it begins. You cannot love one another. Uh, until you know the love of God through Jesus Christ. And you've come into that personal relationship with him. I showed you the pictures there from uh, Tyler and Carly's wedding. They did something in their wedding ceremony that I've never done before, never seen done before uh, in a wedding ceremony. They did a foot washing. And uh, maybe you've seen that before. I'd never seen that before. And um, when I related that to some of uh, other guys on the team, they were like, Tyler? <laughs> it's like, whoa. And the love of Christ in his life and her life uh, led them to want to express, uh, hey, we love each other. We're going to serve one another. And it, it's not because uh, they're good guys or good gals. It's because Christ did something in their lives. And when you know that love of Christ then we have the ability and we are able to truly love one another like we should. Now, if I said to you, uh, we're going to talk about love, what passage in the Bible uh, comes to mind first? The love passage. What is it? 1 Corinthians 13. And that's where we want to look at and camp out for the rest of our time together today. And so 1 Corinthians 13, how many of you used it maybe at your wedding? Okay, some of you did. And many times you'll hear that at a wedding. It's a wonderful passage to use. 
And I don't want to take anything away from it being used at a wedding because it is a beautiful passage. But you know, in some respects, it's almost like a pre-flight checklist. That's almost what it is. There are 14 succinct statements that are made in that passage about this is what love is or this is what love is not. Uh, Of the 14, seven of them are stated in a positive tone. Love is whatever. And the other seven are stated negatively. Love is not. And so these 14 characteristics of love are put forth in this passage to us. It is a very beautiful passage, but it also has the idea of, hey, you need to check these 14 out in your own life. And it's not just restricted to a uh, dating or a marriage-type relationship. It is about our relationship to one another in all areas. And so what I want to do today, uh, let's look together in 1 Corinthians 13. We're not going to look at all 14, but we're going to look at about half of them. And uh, look at some principles that hopefully we can put into practice in our lives to fulfill God's command that we truly love one another as Christ has loved us. We won't look at this for every one of the ones that uh, we uh, read today. But every one of the 14, you can go into the life of Christ and see where he loved that way as well. And so when we read 1 Corinthians 13, it really is teaching us, here's how Christ loved. And we are called to love others as he has loved us. So, 1 Corinthians 13, here's the first one in verse 4. It says, love is patient. Now, the word that's used here for patient is a word that is used exclusively in the Bible referring to people. So, what it's saying here, it's not talking about being patient at the red light uh, or at the line at the supermarket. It's talking here about demonstrating and being patient with people around you. And uh, here's how I summarize that. I'm going to give you a little summary for each word. Is that love is willing to wait. Okay, love doesn't have to have its way today or immediately. Love has the idea of being willing to wait. Now, what is the most obvious application of that principle? It's a dating couple where one or both of them say, hey, if you love me, We'll what? We'll get physical. All right? That's it. Versus, hey, if we love each other, let's wait until marriage. That is the most obvious application of that. But it's not the only one. And uh, many of you here today, of course, are married. uh, And so that application doesn't apply to you. But for those of you that aren't married, maybe dating now, maybe dating in the future, let me encourage you to live that application of that truth out. Because love says I'm willing to wait. We had a guy in the Tigers a number of years ago. If I mention his name, uh, I probably most of you would not know him. He was a journeyman pitcher. He was up in the big leagues for only a little while. His name, first name is Chris. And uh, when Chris came over to the Tigers, I met him. Uh, he'd come from another organization and had just in the months previous come to faith in Christ. And so we got to know each other and uh, it was in September he was getting married that off-season. 
And uh, we got to talk, and he said, hey, Jeff, would you consider doing it? I said, well, I'll be happy to meet with you guys and talk. And his fiance's name was Kelly. And so a uh, season ended. I went out to Arizona where they were living together and, um, and uh, got together and said, uh, hey, guys, let's meet, let's talk, had dinner, met Kelly for the first time. Uh, Chris was a new believer. Kelly was not a believer. And as we talked, I said, guys, I love you. I'll help you however, however I can. But for me, and I've had to do this a few times, uh, I, I'd say, you know, for me as a pastor, uh, I'll do a wedding between two believers, but I won't do a wedding between a believer and a non-believer. And I explained to them why. And they were very gracious. But you could see Chris's wheels starting to turn. Like, I love Christ. I want to serve him. But I also love this gal. What do I do? So I came back home to Detroit. And um, Chris had to go uh, away to, uh, well, before he went away, Chris got his own apartment and said, you know, I want to honor God. So he got his own place, and uh, Kelly still had the other place. And then Chris had to go out of town for about a month to play um, Olympic baseball for uh, Team Canada. He was from uh, uh, Canada. And um, while he was gone, Kelly went to a Christian bookstore, bought a book, called me up from the bookstore before she bought it said, Jeff, I'm looking at this book. You think it's a good one to get? The name of the book was Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Joshua McDowell. I said, get it. It's a good book. She got it. She read it. And through that, she came to faith in Christ. And I had the privilege uh, a few months later to go do their wedding. Now, and, and by the way, today they got three kids happily married, serving Christ. It's really a cool story. But here's the key. You know what, you know what was the biggest witness to Kelly? was when Chris said, hey, I'm willing to wait. If we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's do it the way God said it. And so love says that in a dating relationship. Beyond a dating relationship, you know what love says? I'm willing to wait as God works in the lives of other people around me. Are are you perhaps like I am? Uh, Maybe you're discipling someone. Maybe you're trying to witness to someone. And you wish, man, I wish they would just get it today. Come to Christ. Grow up in your faith. Uh, Maybe we do that sometimes with our own kids even, right? You know what love says? Hey, I'm willing to wait. I'm going to keep loving on you, keep pouring God's word into you, uh, keep witnessing to that person, and let God bring about the results. And folks, there's a great freedom and love in that. I didn't get it all at once, did you? No. And so love says, I'm willing to wait. That word... Uh, that's used here for willing to wait uh, is the same word used in 2 Peter chapter 3 when it says God is long-suffering toward us. The word long-suffering, not willing that what? Anyone should perish. So if God demonstrates that type of waiting on me and on you before you came to Christ, before I came to Christ, That's the type of love we're to demonstrate to others. A willingness to wait. Here's the second one. Uh, It says, uh, love is kind in verse 4. And the way I would summarize this is, love is available and helpful. Love looks for the simple ways to help people. When I got here today, um, uh, I put some stuff out there on the table, and one or two people came right up and said, hey, can we help roll those posters? That's being helpful. That's being available. That's saying, honey, I'll take your car and gas it up. I'm running some errands. Okay? 
Uh, it's just the little things in life that we do to be available and helpful to people. Do you know how much that transforms a work environment? When you come into that and uh, you're the person that is willing to serve and to love on others and be helpful to them. So often, we go through life and we're doing this. We're battling each other. And Jesus said, uh, come take my yoke. It is easy. The same idea of being helpful. Uh, and we are to go and help one another. Let me illustrate it for you. And I'm looking around. I need a, some, a, a guy who's a, young, uh, a child, a young boy, who wants to volunteer. Anybody? Who's going to do it? They're pointing at him. What's your name? Come on up. Over this guy up here in the front. I had two coming. Only one. Uh-oh, I'm going to take two. All right, I'll do two. So what's your name? Titus? Thomas. Okay, come here, please. And uh, stand right here. So uh, they tell this story. Come here, Titus. Stand right behind him. Uh, of uh, people traveling on a uh, trail on a mountain, right on the edge. In fact, let's stand over here. Let's pretend we're on the mountain, and here's the cliff, and if you fall over, you're going to die. And, um, and right here's a sure wall. So the path is just big enough for one person. And so I want to get that way, and these two guys want to go this way, right? And so how do you solve that, okay? So there's a couple ways we could solve this. Which, which, what, what is one way? I can throw them off. All right, that's one. Two is what? They turn around and go back and don't get their fulfillment, and I turn around and go back. The third way is that somebody's got to lay down, and they're going to do what? Walk across. Go ahead, guys. Just be careful where you step. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to do that. But... Um, that's the point. Now, I'm not talking about any type of an abusive or degrading relationship. But it's the willingness for one person to say, hey, I'm willing to suffer a little hardship to make your way easier. Hey, guys, thanks for helping. Give me a hand, would you? <clears throat> and that is a characteristic of love. And that's what it means there. Uh, am I helpful to others? A third one. And... Um, uh, the third one is this. We refrain from a negative attitude toward the leadership and influence of others. And here's what it says. It says, love, it does not envy. The word envy there is a word that's used in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And, um, and so in the Septuagint, that word is used to describe... Joseph, Joseph's brothers and their attitude toward him. Do you remember that story? Coat of many colors, uh, dad's favorite, um, and uh, we're going to sell our brother and get rid of him and uh, hope he dies. Because they were what? They were jealous. They were envious. In fact, the word there means to boil up or to strive after. To covet is another way that word is used. And so many times, uh, if we're not careful, we can do that with others around us. Someone who's better at something than we are. 
Someone who has an opportunity that we don't have. Someone who uh, may be blessed in a certain way that we weren't. And so often, um, that envious spirit can boil up in any one of us. It's sin. It needs to be repented of. It is not the love that Christ demonstrated. And so let's be on guard that we're not people who allow uh, that negative attitude toward uh, leadership and toward others who are blessed in certain ways that maybe we are not. I've had the privilege three times to go over to India to teach at a Bible institute in the city of Chennai. It's the Chennai Bible Institute. Chennai's in the southern part of India on the east coast, uh, right on the water. And uh, there's a man there named Mano Daniel who has a, has a track ministry. He prints millions of tracks every year. And they get distributed all over the country into the most obscure little villages. And uh, people have come to faith in Christ over the years. And one of the things that happens in these little villages, it might be a, uh, a truck driver who's in Chennai who gets a bunch of tracks goes back to that village, passes them out. People come to Christ, they start reading their Bible, and pretty soon they say, hey, we need a church. That's talked about in the Bible, and there's no church in the village. So guess who they look to to be the pastor of that church? The guy that gave them the track, who might have a sixth grade education. And so what Mano does, he brings these men uh, into Chennai like four times a year, has folks from the states and other places come over and kind of teach, not quite seminary, but those type of courses to these men who go back and then pastor in their villages. I love the name he calls these guys. He calls them leaders in obscurity. Isn't that a cool name? And so um, I've been over there three times to teach, and here's what Mano says about his own people. And he compares the Indian people to those uh, maybe in Japan where there's a much more uh, teamwork spirit about some things, especially in the families. And here's what Mano says. He says uh, there's two types of crabs in the world. Uh, One is the Indian crab, and he likens it to fishing. And he said the Indian crab, when you go out and catch the Indian crab and you uh, put them on a boat, um, you uh, put them in a barrel, and then there's another crab, the Japanese crab. You catch those, put them in a barrel. He says, but you have to put a lid on the Japanese crab barrel because what they try to do is they'll try to scamper up the inside of that barrel to make their way out. And with the Japanese crab, one will climb up, another will climb up, another, and they'll all get out. He said, you don't have to do that with the Indian crab because once one starts to climb up, the others reach up, grab them, and pull them back down. And you, know, you think about that. What kind of crab am I? Am I going to be the person who tries to help people up in life? Or am I going to be pulling them down because I'm jealous? And so there's a wonderful uh, description here of love is. Love isn't about pulling other people down. Love isn't about uh, uh, breaking things up. Love's about building up and encouraging others. Here's uh, another one. Uh, love guards against pride. And, uh, and I'm not talking about a good pride here. Pride in your country, pride in your job, pride in your Lord and Savior. But here's talking about the pride that allows us to think 
we've gotten to where we're at on our own. That's the pride it's talking about here. That it's an I thing. It was just me. Um, Someone uh, gave me this definition years ago of humility, the opposite of pride. Uh, Humility is recognizing that God and others are actually responsible for the achievements in my life. And that's a good definition. I see what God did and what others have done in my life, and it's not about me and it's not about I. Driving up here, I uh, always enjoy coming up um, uh, to Walloon Lake Community Church, uh, Bay Harbor, where I had the opportunity to speak during the summer. And uh, driving up the freeway, uh, what trucks on the freeway make the most noise? You're driving up the freeway and the big semis, which ones of those make the most noise? You know which ones do? The ones that are empty. They got no cargo. Why? Because they bounce around and all the noise does what? It echoes. What people tend to make the most noise? The ones that are what? They don't got much cargo, but man, they can talk a good game. And, uh, you know, that's what we're talked about to guard here. Uh, Guard against pride. Uh, You don't have all the answers. Your relationships are not the most perfect ones ever to exist. Okay? Uh, You're not doing marriage the way that no one's ever done it before. And so it really says love takes a humble approach, recognizing that others uh, and um, God are responsible for what's happened in my life. You didn't come to Christ without God and without others. If you're married today, you're not in that marriage without the influence of God and his sovereign plan and will and the influence of families that uh, uh, shaped and molded you to where you're at today. And so uh, love guards against pride. Uh, The next one, and this is one of my favorite ones right here. Love uh, teaches us, uh, you know what, uh, uh, let's skip those uh, three pictures there if we could, uh, Rachel, thanks. I told Rachel before the service that, and uh, the text back there, they're like umpires at a game. You never notice them until something goes wrong. And then it's, okay, who's back there running that board today? Now, that wasn't her fault, that was me, I skipped a few slides. Um, And so here's the next one, love says, I'm going to be in control, and I'm not going to react. This is the only one of all the statements in 1 Corinthians 13 that is in the passive voice, okay? It is not easily angered, meaning other people are doing things. They're the ones that are taking the actions, and I am not to let them negatively affect me to the point of being angered. Okay? And so it's the only statement that's in the negative or in the uh, passive voice. Uh, Here's how I illustrate it. Uh, If you're married, how many of you know what buttons you can push to aggravate your spouse? Okay? And we should have an altar call right now, maybe. And like, but we all know that, don't we? We know how to push other people's buttons. Our buddies, our friends, we know it. I had a guy, uh, he's a player on the Tigers, him and his wife, retired for a while now. Uh, they have a home in Florida. And um, uh, he had a really nice garage, kind of separate from the house, kind of a work area. He was a hunter. He would make his bows out there. And he, he's a type A guy. In fact, uh, on one of the teams he played for, 
they would bring every new player into the clubhouse and say, here's how you keep your locker, okay? He was one of those guys, like I am too, and uh, kind of obsessive about it. So his wife, uh, they had a dog, and they would feed the dog out in that garage, and like on this side of the garage is where the dog food was in the bowl. And he kept this place immaculate. I mean, he'd sweep it three times a day, that type of thing. So every time she would feed the dog, she'd feed the dog. She'd take one little piece of dog food and walk it over and just put it on the floor right there. And this went on for like two or three weeks. And he eventually told me the story. He said, man, I go out there, I start working. I said, how in the world did she get a piece? And, and be annoyed, pick it up, put it away. And that went on and on and on. And she just died laughing about it all. Now, that was done in a little lighter context, but folks, we do know how to push each other's buttons, don't we? We shouldn't do it, but when someone pushes yours or mine, it's saying this, be in control, act, decide what is appropriate, don't react, okay? Uh, And there's so many applications to that that uh, God can uh, work and bring about in your life. The next one that we look at is love does uh, not keep score. I like to keep score. I like to be competitive. Uh, It doesn't matter what we're playing. uh, Let's keep score. Let's see who won. And love does not keep score. Love isn't in about I've got to win. In fact, the word that's used here for uh, it keeps no records of wrongs. The idea of that, the, the Greek word is logizomai, and it even has the application of like a, an accountant's journal or even the ship, uh, a log on a ship, the captain's journal. And a log on a ship tells, uh, when you read it, tells you where you've what? Where you've been, right? That's what a log does. And it says we stopped at this port, we stopped at this port, we had this issue here, and it tells the whole story. And love says this, I'm not going to keep a log of the wrongs of other people in my life. And that applies certainly to marriage, but it applies in every relationship in life. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to give in to temptation at times. We're all going to fail. And our approach is, hey, I want to help restore you. I want it to be right. If it's something between us, I want that resolved. And I'm not going to keep a record of it to where I can always bring it up and throw it in your face. Love does not do that. Love does not keep a YouTube channel. Okay? You go to YouTube now, you can watch like everything in the world from people's lives, right? How many hits did they get? Uh, How many views? And love says, you know, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Even though someone close to me may offend me, uh, if he or she deals with it in the right way, I don't want to keep a record of those wrongs. I want to forgive, and I want to let go. Amen? Not easy to do, is it? In fact, uh, our bent, at least mine, is I want to keep that record. Because if I do, then I can kind of keep you down a little bit and hold it against you. And uh, you owe me. And love releases that. A couple more. Uh, One, uh, or the next one, love uh, protects and watches out for others. It says in verse 7, it always protects. You know, there's a great lesson to be learned here. How do you speak about those around you? Uh, How do you talk about your spouse if you're married? Uh, Kids, how do you talk about your parents? 
Uh, parents, how do you talk about your kids? Uh, how do you talk about your church, uh, your employer? And love really seeks to protect. Again, not, not uh, oblivious to truth and things that need to be addressed. But love says, I'm going to protect those around me. I'm not going to let others talk negatively of them. Um, people, I, I've had people come to me at times to talk negatively about someone else. And you know my response I try to do all the time is, hey, let's call them up right now and you tell them about it. And man, people can backtrack so quick. Like, well, no, no, I didn't mean that. Okay? And let's, uh, let's protect one another and protect those that are close to us. My wife and I, when we first got married, uh, we did this a few times. Each of us did it to each other. Uh, maybe we're sitting at home and uh, someone would call up, hey, Jeff, you and Carla want to go to dinner and a movie or whatever night? Yeah, man, we'd love to. That's great. And uh, let me call you right back. And then I asked Carla, and she didn't want to do it for some reason, right? And now when I call back and say, hey, we, we're not going to do it, who became the heavy? She did, right? I'm on board. Uh, you know, we just can't do it tonight. Well, they know. And so we just made a rule, hey, we don't make commitments to others till we talk. And we're sure we're on the same page. And love seeks ways to protect and allow others to look their best, not falsely, but genuinely. And then the final one I'll give to you is love. Uh, it says in uh, verse 5, uh, always perseveres. Uh, and so love uh, stands together in trying times. Remember earlier, our very first one, love uh, has a willingness to wait or is patient? That was talking about people. This word here is talking about circumstances, stuff that happens. You lose your job. Uh, you have a financial issue. Uh, there's a car wreck. How do you go through times of adversity and trials? In a family, in a church, in a relationship, wherever. How do you as a Christian handle it? It says, real love perseveres. I want to show you a video uh, to kind of wrap up, and then I'll, I'll say a few things afterwards. But um, what we did in Baseball Chapel this year, every chapel in the country, uh, every Sunday, we would all speak on the same topic. And so uh, let's say uh, this one week in August, the topic was overcoming adversity. We could pick any, every guy could pick his own passage and do whatever he wanted, but everyone had that theme. And so players, regardless of what team they are, they all heard that same theme of a message. And then what we did ahead of time, we asked different players, uh, they volunteered, to uh, make a two-minute video about that topic. And so Sunday morning, we would speak on it in all our chapels. And then Sunday night, players, major league, minor league players who wanted to, received a text with a little video clip about that topic. So in August, the topic was one of those Sundays, Overcoming Adversity, and one of our players, James McCann, our catcher, said, hey, I want to do that one. And so I want to show you the two-minute clip that uh, James did on overcoming adversity because it ties right in to what is standing here. Love always perseveres. And so, Rachel, thanks. Uh, let's show that video. Hey, y'all. James McCann here. Uh, today's topic is bouncing back from adversity. As a baseball player, when I think adversity, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, going through a slump at the plate, uh, going through a rough stretch at, 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 on the mound, um, you know, getting sent up and down, uh, facing you know, the struggles of, of baseball. Uh, but there's so much more to adversity uh, off the field. Uh, issues at home, 
uh, health concerns, financial situations. Uh, adversity comes in all shapes and sizes, and nobody's immune from it, and it's not unique to anyone. God never promised us that, that life would be easy. Uh, in fact, Jesus warned us in uh, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, trouble. But he goes on to assure us, take heart, I have overcome this world. Uh, with God on our side, nothing is impossible, and it, uh, it states that numerous times in the Bible. Uh, when facing adversity, the easy thing to do is to give in and quit, but that's not what we're called to do. Uh, in James chapter 1, verses 2-4, through 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Uh, we're actually called to enjoy the, the troubles in, in, that we go through. It uh, seems backwards, and it's definitely hard to do in the moment, uh, but we can be at peace with the adversity knowing that God has our best interests in mind, and uh, there's a reason for it, and uh, that, that we'll be stronger because of it in the end. Um, Romans 5, uh, verses 3 through 5 say, We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Uh, God uses that, that adversity to, uh, to build our character. Uh, he shapes us and molds us through uh, the trials that, that we may face. Uh, so stay positive through it. Um, you know, Don't question it. Instead of asking why me as in poor me, why not ask why me as in why am I so blessed to, to get to go through uh, this adversity and, and how wonderful it is that God is, is going to shape and mold me through this adversity. Uh, finally, uh, as a brother in Christ, I, I want to remind you that uh, when things are going tough, especially uh, at the field, that's when others watch you the closest and the most. Um, they want to see how, how a Christian responds and reacts in, in the tough situations. Uh, so stay positive, uh, stay the course, and uh, you know, take this verse with you. Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Remember, with God on your side, guys, everything is possible. Isn't that good? And uh, I love the theme there, uh, perseverance. And instead of saying, God, why me? Say, God, why me? Why do I get to go through this? And how can I be a witness for you through it? Love always perseveres. My love for Christ, your love for Christ through the toughest trials uh, ought to be evident to those around us. And during those trials, our love for other believers and the love other believers ought to and can show into our lives will be a wonderful witness to the world of what Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Uh, the final statement I'll make is a love never fails, is uh, what wraps up that entire passage. And I liken it this way. Think of uh, a, a panel of dimmer switches, uh, maybe for a room in your house or a, a big meeting room or something, and there's all these dimmer switches there. The electricity is wired into those. It's ready to go. And what you have to do to make the light shine is just turn the, the dials. And every one of those 14 characteristics is like a dial of a dimmer switch. And God is saying, hey, turn them up. Let others see your love for me and your love for one another as you seek to be a witness in this world. Father, thanks so much for the word of God. And uh, thank you that uh, Jesus embodied true love. Uh, and every one of these characteristics that we see, we look at in this passage, uh, he demonstrated and does demonstrate still and yet today. And Father, thank you for the privilege we have to uh, embody that message and that truth of love today. 
And so while we are your physical representations in the world, I pray that you would empower us uh, as individuals, empower us as a church body to uh, demonstrate the love of Christ to the world around us, to show it to one another, to live it out, and to be a witness of your love in this world. In Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen.